We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, on today's episode of BuzzBeat, we bring on Sam Purley of Hornets.com. We get to chat about some early season trends, the challenges of playing a season with COVID, and in the pod with some Charlotte Hornets trivia. All that up next. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh! All right, everyone, welcome into another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and I'll be joined by Brian today. Hope you're doing well, Brian, and, and well-rested for the second half of the season that's about to come up. Uh, but more importantly, we have a guest that will be joining us today that not only writes for Hornets.com, but is also doing voiceovers now for the videos uh, that the Hornets have been putting out recently on their social media sites. So we've got Sam Purley here. Sam, how's it going? Good. I'm not sure the voiceovers is a huge part. I, I'm not sure that's a thing people recognize me from now. I, I kind of just throw those in 30 seconds, knock them out. And But if that's something that people know me of now, then I'm more than happy to. Uh, yes, that is me on some of those tune in videos. Do you uh, like practice like, you know, or maybe do you watch videos of like Morgan Freeman or anything like that to kind of get some <laughs> uh, voiceover tips? No, like we started doing them this year just because obviously not having fans in the stands, at least for the first half. And trying to find ways to get people like the only way you can watch the game is to tune in and watch it or listen to it on the radio. And it's kind of trying to draw more people to it. And we just started doing them and it's like, Hey, can you record this? I guess. And now I've, so I'll write the scripts for them, but now we started to kind of divvy them up into more of our, like everyone in our social media group will do one. Or if somebody, if we, someone does one, the new thing was on the West road trip is somebody does one and we win that game. It's like, okay, let's circle back around and get this person again um, to do them again. So we read the scripts and I'll send them out who wants to do it. It's up for grabs. So we got a good little rotation to it. So it's not just me or Sam Farber doing them all the time. I, I swear it's like reassuring for me to hear other people being superstitious about stuff. It's like, okay, good. It's good. I, it's not that other people do this. It's not, I'm not the only one that like my brain isn't broken. Like a lot of people do this. And also man, Sam getting, getting paid for voiceover work. Like that stuff is the dream. I, I think yeah. people who get to do like, if you're a voice actor, uh, you just work a couple dozen days out of the year in an air conditioned studio. Like, uh, I don't know. I just, I swear voiceover work is like, it's a, it's a dream job. I feel like, or at least uh, if you have my skill set, it's a dream job or something it's, like that. It's harder than I thought it would be. I'm just recording them in my phone and it's like two lines of lines that I wrote and like 
you get super paranoid about it, you're like, we do five, six, seven takes. I will, I, I, he'll get mad if I don't say it, but one of our producers, Nick Bolick, who's on the road with the team, um, in the Western Conference road trip or the West road trip did two of them and won both games, the Phoenix game and the Minnesota game. So he really said he brought the juice, he brought the energy. So credit to Nick Bolick for those two ones, which I should have done all six, but I didn't want to. I didn't yeah. want to, uh, you know, get too ambitious, too over eager. So yeah, well, hopefully we'll we'll bring them out as much as we can in the second half of the tune-ins. Well, Sam, anytime we have a new guest on, I like to get to know you a little bit more uh, before we get into the Hornets here. Uh, I'm actually known for reading into people's Twitter bios, so I saw a couple things on yours that caught my eyes. Uh, one mm-hmm. of them is that you're a Mets yes. fan, and you also used to be a, a collegiate swimmer. Is that true as well? Yes. So um, on the Mets, my dad is uh, my dad's originally from New Jersey, born in New Jersey, born township in northern New Jersey. So I uh, grew up a Mets fan, passed it on to me. I uh, grew up in Charlotte. We obviously didn't have a baseball team here, a professional team, um, big Braves country. But I got really into the Mets and still kind of like even with spring training starting. My brother is a huge Mets fan, too. Um, so like I'm getting like two like it's almost, I don't know if sickness is a word, but I get too into it sometimes. Like I'm, you know, spring training at bats and like pitchers that are never going to make the team. I'm texting my brother, you know, such and such. Did he make the team? It's like, it's, it's silly. It's like everything, everything that's like terrible. I'm trying to think of the word, like just maniacal, I guess, with baseball. So I I love baseball. I've watched the Mets. Um, But yeah, for sure. And then, uh, yes, I was, I swam division three college swimming for four years at Connecticut college where I was not to brag all American a couple of times. And wow. so, and then I retired, I just graduated and retired. <laughs> yeah. I swear swimming is the most exhausting, exhausting sport. Uh, I remember my freshman year of college, we had the option of choosing a PE class and uh, some of the options out there at, at UNC Wilmington is where I went. were just odd. Like they had like you know, horseback riding and, and, and sometimes <laughs> the ones that they had were paired up with like you would have one sport that you would like, but it was paired up with one that you didn't. So I, I signed up for one that was golf slash swimming. And so mm-hmm. for the first half we did golf and you know, that was fine by me. And then when I got to swimming, you know, putting on those fifteen pounds, you know, you know, freshman year, I was yeah. exhausted, man. Exhausted. And then the last kind of test that they had to get like a, a grade was to do, I think maybe 12 laps or six laps. One, what, I guess a lap is down and back, I guess is in swimming. And man, the, the guy that was counting for me, he's like, okay, that's four. It's like, no, 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 that's five. Just, just make it five, dude. Just make it five. I'm <laughs> dying here. So uh, I, I always have a, a respect for people that are, are swimming, but also playing like water polo as well. Like the, I can't yes. imagine treading yeah. water that long. Water polo is really hard. Um, I did sound very humble since an All-American on the last one, but that's why I wrote washed on the Twitter bio. It was a long <laughs> time removed from that. Um, yeah, my the way my conference worked, we didn't, uh, we basically, the season started, it was small division three. So the season would start so November 1st, basically to do double practices every day until pretty much the end of February with meets on the weekends. And then, um, and then the season was over and then basically I had to stay in good enough shape to be ready to go the next November 1st. But, uh, water polo is really, really hard. I can promise you I've, I've played a little bit or tried to play a little bit and it's really, 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 it's as hard as you think it is. Trust me. It's really hard. The treading the water though. Yeah. Aerobic. It's, it's tough. It's hard to imagine like having like top line, especially when you see it in the Olympics and you're like, this is literally world-class hand-eye coordination while treading water, like just nonstop treading, which is just like, it, you know, it's unique, really. 
uh, in a, and then it's swimming back the other way. Possession ends. You go back the yeah, other way. It's do it all over again. The tackling each other, kicking each other underwater, wrestling for the ball. I've lost the ball. Now I'm going back the other way. It's crazy. And I got to do this for 30 minutes. Isn't uh, isn't Jok- isn't Jokic at Denver? Isn't he a former water polo guy? Yeah. So I think so. I think so. His all his movements and stuff is former. That's very big over in Serbia and Eastern yeah. Europe, Hungary, mm-hmm. Serbia, former Yugoslavic mm-hmm. republics are all huge water polo. Um, background. So yeah, that's where he kind of, if you look at his motion, that's exactly how yeah. a water polo ball is thrown. We'll have to start a water polo podcast, Brian. Maybe. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so obviously you didn't lead a path to becoming an Olympic swimmer, uh, but can you tell our listeners the path that you did take and how you went from graduating uh, to where you are now as a writer for Hornets.com? Um, yeah. So obviously I'm not in the Olympics for swimming. Uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe I still have a chance. Maybe they open it up a little bit more, uh, but I graduated in 2010 um, from a small liberal arts college in Connecticut and did major in history and sociology. It was kind of like a lot of college kids that, graduated when they were didn't really know what they wanted to do kind of always knew I wanted to do something in sports but I didn't uh didn't really have a plan to do so so I applied for a job at ESPN as one of the stats and analysis people um moved back to Charlotte and then ended up getting hired probably a couple months later so moved back to Connecticut lived in Bristol for a couple years and um so as a project employee so we'd work nine months on three months off nine months on basically just watching majority of watching college football watching college basketball um, and doing the play-by-play. So this is 2010. So stuff is a little bit different then in terms of like how information is sent out and phones and everything like that. But it was literally just watching the game on a screen here and then do, typing the play-by-play into a program. And then that play-by-play would populate the website. If there was a touchdown or a game-winning shot or something, you'd see it on your phone, you know, um, you know, Cam Newton, Auburn touchdown, you know, extra point good. Um, and do things like running the bottom line, the little – Thing, things that scrolled across ESPN. So um, did that for a couple of years and it kind of got a little monotonous, I think. And I got a little kind of burnt out living in Bristol. It's not the easiest place to live. So moved back home, uh, coached swimming for a year. So kind of dove back into swimming. Um, so coached year-round swimming for a year and then went back to school at Northeastern University. They have a campus here in Charlotte where I majored in, I started kind of getting on the track because I think I want to do something in sports. So uh, majored in sports leadership there or went back to study sports leadership, I'd say still coaching swimming. Um, in 2014, I got a internship with the Hornets through a parent of a child who I was coaching's dad, I think kind of got me a position. So I was a corporate partnerships intern for the Hornets for the very first season. The first season they got the name back. I was a, as gotcha. a partnerships intern. So I did that for a semester and knew I wanted to be in sports and I kind of jumped at the opportunity to work for the Hornets, but it wasn't really something I wanted. I didn't think partnerships was really my Avenue. Um, so I got halfway through and asked if I could shadow the digital intern one day, um, or Matt Roshinsky, who's our, I guess, director of digital content. I forget what his title was back then, but I walked in his office and can I, uh, shadow you guys for days. You just want to be our next intern. It was literally just like that. Just say, you know, actually we just need an intern for next semester. You want to do it? Okay, sure. It was, it was literally just like that. It was the, it was the craziest thing. It's craziest moment of my life, maybe looking back. Um, so I found a way to get another internship. Uh, did that for the second half of the season. Had to move on. Um, later that fall, got a job. This is somewhat coming to an end, so I know it's kind of a long route. I got a job working at something called Perform, Perform, Perform Group, um, which is a British-based company that owns a lot of uh, 
sports analytics things. They own sporting news for a while. Um, they own stats Inc now. Um, but I was working for a product called Opta, which was a commercialized, uh, basically commercialized, highly detailed in-depth soccer analytics. So for like the MLS premier league, Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, like, um, so I was on the MLS side, so I wasn't doing any of the recording, but I was looking at the stats that would come through that we'd compile through MLS games. And I would put together packages and then we would sell these packages to like NYCFC, Fox sports. We'd watch Fox sports games. And if something happened during the game, I'd have to look it up and, you know, email whoever was doing the calls at the game on site. So there's a lot of MLS watching, not a huge soccer person. Um, I, learned a lot about it, but it wasn't really a soccer person. But while I was doing that, I was also working as a contract work for the Hornets um, because the intern that was supposed to succeed me, I think was from another country or something and didn't, couldn't get academic credit or something like very last second they had that the intern couldn't do it. Um, so Matt called me and was like, you want to just do it? You know, contract work. I said, absolutely. I'll do it. Um, so I did those two things. And then within a year, a full-time job opened at the Hornets. And then I left the the soccer analytics behind after uh, probably 12 months. So I've been at the Hornets full-time since uh, the start of the 16-17 season. So this is my fifth full-time season. Long, long route. A lot of, a lot of like little odd jobs in there. A lot of random internships, freelance. Um, And I was coaching swimming all the way up to uh, probably 2016. So I coached that for three or four years, year-round swimming, like high-end competitive swimming for a while. Um, so a lot of, a lot of different stuff, a lot of time management, but it was so nice to kind of focus on one thing after a long, different, a lot of different stuff, moving all over the place, different sports, stuff like that. Yeah. I think the, um, I believe another charlatan, uh, that works around the NBA had, a the same job at ESPN as you did. I think Tom Haberstrom yeah, he did. had the yeah, same, he did. had the same job. I believe, I believe I've heard him mention that before, uh, maybe even when he was on with us. He was two years. I think he did it two years before I did. So basically me and a bunch of people for like college football season and college basketball season. And then when the summers are kind of dead, it's just baseball really. And then they bring everybody back. So I did that kind of did odd jobs in the summer in Bristol and they did one more Mm -hmm. contract, I guess. But yeah, he did, did the, I heard him on us. Not not been this podcast, but another one He's like, it's exactly what I did. It's like six, 6 PM to 2 AM numbers all night. It's just, it's a crazy crazy schedule there for sure. It was really, really weird. I mean, maybe there are more professions like this, but I just, as someone that since I got out of college has worked in sports media, it like the, the career track is like not linear, you know, it is like, and, and uh, you'll spend plenty of time being like, uh, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if this is going to work. And uh, yeah, just, it takes, it takes, it takes a lot of luck. It takes good fortune. Um, it really does, but uh, it's like totally worth it. But yeah, it is not like a step A, do this, step B, do this, step C, do this, step D, profit and be happy with your job. Like it just does not, yeah. it's gotta, like not work like that. You know, it does not, it's not how it goes. Yeah. I tell people that want to get into it, like, it's not going to be linear. You're going to have your own path. Like this is what I did, but it was like, just jump at every time. It's something in sports, just jump in it and do it and do learn as much as you can. Like if I'm, there were points when I was like sitting there watching a kid, you not like 12 hours of MLS soccer in a row. Like, <laughs> what on earth am I doing? Yeah. And writing emails to people that are on site in the broadcast booth for like a high level MLS game. Like you would type in emails and like within minutes, your 
fact would be showing up on the screen of the F. It's like, what in the world am I doing here? Yeah. Um, but you just, you find whatever it is, whether it's something in sports, you find a way to get something out of it. Don't brush it off or don't take advantage of it. Like the partnerships intern, I knew I didn't necessarily want to be in corporate partnerships for a long time, but I learned a lot about branding. I learned a lot about the organization and what it stood for and, you know, the things it was built on and how to represent yourself and the importance of like every little detail. And I think that was really important transitioning into media attention to detail and branding, how everything is a reflection of your organization. So definitely find ways to kind of, um, take something out of every little experience, even if it's not the ultimate end goal. Have you ever said to yourself, I love the fact that I've had the same few pair of sheets since just after college and I've never really liked them, but I just kept washing them every week or two and putting them back on the bed like it's totally normal. Well, stop it. Brooklinen can make that voice in your head and the bad sheets on your bed go away. Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky who tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and leg. And when they couldn't find it, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and taste. They have over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They are so confident that you will love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They have comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code BUZZ to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter code BUZZ to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping brooklinen.com and use promo code buzz at checkout. All right, let's get into this year's team. And I, and I first wanted to start by talking about the craziness of, of this season, Sam with COVID it, it's thrown off a lot of routines. It's made things wildly challenging for a lot of reasons. You're more in the thick of it than we are working with the organization. So can you speak to the difficulties this season has been for this team for the players and you know what they've had to deal with this season well i will start by saying like the difficulties we encountered is nothing compared to the big picture obviously there's people going through a lot worse stuff right now um not to put it on a morbid you know note or anything but you know it's it definitely has made its challenges in the sports environment um first off we didn't play for nine months so that was a challenge i mean we had the workout bubble um and things started to kind of really pick up maybe after the draft lottery in terms of content and things like that. But yeah, I would say that the biggest challenge is I think it's just kind of communication. We know we're not in the office right now. We go to the games, the home games, and we sit, you know, kind of apart from each other. We have three or four of our team there and that's the way we can communicate. But, you know, we've got, we've learned to kind of communicate online a lot more for me personally. I think the biggest thing, and this is, again, this is just an observation. It's not exactly like a terrible insurmountable challenge, but there's definitely a lot of things like having little one-on-one conversations with players and coaches and staff and learning a little bit. I mean, that stuff is, is not really, um, you know, if you want to work on a story and you want to have a one-on-one with somebody, it's hard to get those anymore. So you just got to kind of be a little bit more open. You got to be a lot more creative this year. I think that's kind of the biggest thing we've been stressing is you got to be really, really creative. There's a lot of restrictions in place in terms of you know, not being able to release content where guys aren't masks or if, a, you know, somebody in the way background doesn't have a mask on, it can't go out. So they're very strict about the mask stuff and the COVID policy and making sure everybody looks good. 
but you know, those are kind of little things and you find a way to work around them. And you know, I just kind of tell myself that hopefully this is just, this is not a big problem. We're doing what we love. It's fun. Um, hopefully this is just kind of a one year thing and you make it work and you get creative. And I, I'm, I like to think that, you know, with the challenges of where our group has had to go through this year, it's going to make us that much more prepared for next year and the years beyond when we're, this hopefully isn't as much of an issue, but mm-hmm. it, it is, it is challenging, but at the end of the day, it's fun. It's fun stuff. It's we've gotten used to it. And, uh, you know, we have a tremendous, tremendous team. that's really, really working hard to get the best content. And I would say that the other biggest con- challenge is, um, everything is online now. Everything is digital, you know, partnership stuff is online. Ticket stuff is online. Like there just isn't as much face-to-face human interaction. So everything's got to be put on the computer in order to get across to your audience. So it does feel like we're doing a lot more this year just because every, this is the, this is the platform right now, the computer, the social digital phones, everything. That's where you kind of get your information across. So it does feel like it's a lot more this year than it has been in years past. Yeah, well, this is when you can, when teams or organizations or whatever can really lean on having, you know, good people that, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, work as uh, media or PR uh, for the franchise. And it's also just like, it's crazy how quickly like we get our, just like our personalities and just our routines. It's like we get used to something, you know, we just get, our, we get acclimated. It's like how we survive, but yeah, just, you know, having everything be on screens and or Zoom or whatever now, it's just a year ago that seemed crazy. And now it's just sort of like a part of the day-to-day life. But despite all of this craziness, you know, the Hornets are entering the second half of the schedule. Yeah, I feel like for me, like it's gone by pretty quickly, but with a 17 and 18 record, they're approaching middle of the pack in the league and offensive efficiency. Obviously LaMelo has been a revelation. We'll get to him more probably in a little bit here, but I guess, give me like, Give me the one biggest thing that you could think of that has been like a key factor in helping this team, you know, sort of hover right around that 500 record and pick up just some really impressive wins, Dallas, Phoenix. um, I'm probably leaving some others off, but just like really some nice wins on the road or we're at home in front of no fans. So what, what would you say is the biggest thing if you could isolate it to that, or if you want to break it up into two or three, by all means. I would say it's probably two things. I would say they have they have discovered a very very good combination of internal growth mixed with external additions. I think the two main guys who brought in Lamelo Ball and Gordon Hayward have been, and I know we'll touch on them shortly, but have been exactly what the team needed to do what they want to do this year. And then I think internally, especially after all that time off you had pretty much every guy on the roster has taken a step forward. And that's exactly what you need for a young team. Cause you're not always going to go out. You're not going to be able to sign a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George or like a top, you know, five superstar in the league in a small market like this and Anthony Davis. So you, you miles takes a step forward. Terry has taken a big step mm-hmm. forward. Devonte has taken a step forward in the sense that I know he's dealing with an injury now, but has found ways to impact the game when the ball, that's a step forward. He's finding ways to impact the game when it's, not as ball dominant as he's been PJ Washington, I feel is, you know, just had that 42 point game the other day, he's taken a step forward. So I think a lot of guys have taken a step forward this year and mix that in with the external additions, I think has been really, really impressive. And then the second thing was the clutch time stuff. I think when you find ways to win close games, that's the difference. It's the difference in this league because I don't know what the stats, but how many games with the average and our margin of victory in a game, maybe come down to a couple of possessions. And if you can find your ways, I think the Hornets are 11 and put it down 11 and five right now. 
in clutch time games and the number one net rating by twice as much mm-hmm. as the next closest team, 11 and five. I mean, you're finding ways to put yourself in position to win close games. And it's really, really remarkable when they get into that final little, I mean, you saw the Sacramento game. I mean, that was <laughs> crazy. You, you can play, replay that game a thousand times and you might yeah. win that once. Like, and I know it took a lot of luck with the missed free throws and, and stuff like that and fouling and you know, that's what happens. But I, I think it's, it's, finding it's finding ways to excel there both physically on the court and the attitude that's like hey we're never out of this we're never out of it and and i think that's what's been the biggest thing is just kind of again everyone's taking a step forward internally and they are just really really good in late game situations right now um some of that stuff will, will has a way of kind of ironing itself out but mm-hmm. um ultimately it's those are the two things i would kind of put as the reason the team is in the position they are right now yeah, I mean, it's having as the the volume of playmakers they have just is along with you know JB's X and O's uh, as an after timeout you know play caller is uh, is real and it's all like you said this stuff is fluid. But even going, we're now on you know the second straight season of the of the Hornets really having a pretty good clutch offense, yeah. clutch net rating, um, and again some of that is is shooting luck for sure. But uh, but it, it's just an interesting. It's continued to be a trend into this season. Now, on the flip side, for the Hornets to sort of like get where they want to go, that can be anywhere. That could be the playoffs. That could be. It doesn't matter. Is there a specific trend that you see, or perhaps you know, a limitation that must get corrected for this team just to really to stay like in the in the hunt for the postseason, or maybe even get above the sort of like play in cut line. That's probably like, that's maybe a little pie in the sky, but um, for them to really like sure up their hopes as a playoff team, what's the, what's the next most important thing for them to do to focus on in the, the second half of the season here? Well, it's kind of a vanilla answer. So bear with me here, but I think we heard, <laughs> even heard at the end of the Minnesota game, which is a really, was a good win to end the pre all-star break schedule. But I think, I think kind of the consensus and I'm not saying anything that's too, out of bounds. I think just defensively, I think JB wants to get better on defense and right. the teams that find themselves in the playoff picture that are playing meaningful games. I guess this year it'll be in the middle of May, usually say the middle of April, but this year will be extended <laughs> um, is the, is the teams that can defend and can step up and get stopped. And you saw, and I know Minnesota's had kind of a, a down year a little bit, but you saw that in the second half of that Minnesota game, it's getting stops, getting out in transition. And I just think defensively, I think they want to kind of get back on track. They started the year as, you know, kind of in that 10, 11, 12 range. And so it's, I think they're kind of down towards 21, you know, I think you can get top 15 defense and top 15 offense. I mean, that would be absolutely ideal. Um, and, and part of that defense too, I think would be um, continuing to be a good rebounding team. And I think that's keeping your big guys in there. Rebounding fell off a little bit when Cody wasn't playing for that month. And I think since then it's kind of hovered right around that 15 to 20 rebounding percentage, defensive rebound, actually pretty good offensive rebounding team. Yeah. Um, so I think those two things, I mean, teams that play meaningful games and want to get into the playoffs, they can defend and they can rebound. So everyone in this league can score, like absolutely everybody can score in the NBA. That's it's finding guys that can get up and get you stops and stop nine Oh runs and get you transition opportunities and get you steals and get you live ball rebounds. And, you go back to that Minnesota game again, I know that's kind of an isolated example, but I mean, that whole third quarter was just live ball rebounds. It's yeah. steam with its transition. I mean, that was, and that it's just, when you can pour it on a team like that, there was, it, it's an uphill battle. It makes you feel like you're down 10, but 
it can feel like 20 or 30. So those would be kind of the two areas, I think just getting better defensively and continue to be a good rebounding team, not just the big guys, but everybody contributes to rebounding. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the sort of the hustle effort plays from that Minnesota game. Dill Curry said it during the broadcast. He's like, if you want to know why Minnesota's losing this game, it's because Charlotte's just outworking them for, yeah. for everything, for every loose ball, every rebound. I think it was actually in the third quarter that he said that. Now there's a, there are a variety of guys on this roster that are that are pretty good darn rebounders and pretty good at having a, a sort of a nose for the ball. Uh, no pun intended here, but one of those guys is Lamelo Ball. You know, certainly brought on, uh, you know, plenty of, of outside attention, likely the favorite to win rookie of the year. Uh, he's been incredible. And, and even for someone like me that I thought Lamella was the best prospect heading into the 2020 draft, like he's been e- even better than I could have imagined in year one, 35 games into his rookie campaign. What are your impressions on Mello? And then once you're done with that, I'd actually like to ask a, a, a quick follow-up to that as yeah. well. Well, I think I'm kind of, I think I kind of speak for everybody that, you know, this is not something I think we saw coming as an organization. I think as fans too, I mean, um, the draft was a little bit weird this year because obviously it was extended, you know, you didn't have, um, usually it's in June and then it goes into November. So you have, usually it's two or three months after the season ends, you think about the draft. And I think the longer you think about the draft and the more you talk about it, the more you can like talk yourself in and out of stuff and you overthink things and overanalyze. And that's what I was, that was all I did this summer was draft content and 2k league. That was all I did. Um, <laughs> so, but you, you know, clearly knew he was talented. You just, he came from such a unique background of playing in the NBL and playing in, in, Lithuania when he was 15 and 16 and playing kind of these startup leagues, he really did have no idea how he was going to, you know, assimilate to an NBA environment. And I think with the draft this year too, it was particularly odd because you had no NCAA tournament and you had a lot of the top guys, not in very visible situations. You had LaMelo playing overseas. You had other guys playing in Europe. You had Anthony Edwards playing at kind of a bigger school, but not as big a basketball school. Um, James Wiseman only playing three games. So you had a lot of guys at the top there that, just didn't have the visibility that you would normally see in an NBA draft. So, um, I mean, he's been exceptional. And I think it, it really started like that first pr- couple of preseason games. You kind of knew, okay, this is a little bit different. I, I would just say, I think the thing that stands out to me, and I think everyone kind of echo it, is just his – I mean, he just sees things before they happen. Yeah. It's Whether it's passes, whether it's shot opportunities, whether it's driving lanes, whether it's – I mean, he's like, it's like one of those chess players. that's two or three moves ahead of everybody. And it's, it's fun because you can see him thinking on the court, you know, kind of moving the pieces around in his head. I'd say the things that really impressed me the most is his rebounding. I did not think how good a rebounder he was going to be. I knew he was tall, obviously, um, but his anticipation for rebounding, he never gives up on plays, follows his shot really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it's, you know, it's the shooting has been incredible. Like the three-point shooting, I think he, I don't know what he's up to now, but ever since January, start of January, he's probably 38, 39% yeah, now. High, high 30s, high 30s. And it's just when you can get, for a rookie to shoot, I think at least let's say 35%, for a rookie to shoot over 35% is pretty that's good. Yeah. exceptional. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exceptional. And to come in, I mean, it has done absolute wonders to his offensive game because once, if you can hit a shot like that, it just opens up everything in front of you. And for yeah. him, I think it opens it up even more with the mm-hmm. driving to the basket and finishing at the rim. I knew we were going to talk about this, but the one play that stuck out to me really, really recently from him that was just like, this is different for a rookie, was in that Phoenix game. And I think the Hornets had like, I want to say like a four-point lead with maybe like 
two minutes left in on back-to-back possessions. He I think I know. Ball. I think I think I know what you're about to say yeah. here. I think I know. Back-to-back, and it's just like, I don't know why, but those plays, maybe they're recently, but he had a dunk. He, he completely blew around DeAndre Aiden. I think got switched onto him on the perimeter and just blew around him. And then next play, next possession, he did the same thing on Jay Crowder, who's a really, really good defender, and kind of threw a right-handed layup <laughs> off the top of the glass and in just like these are two huge time baskets there for a rookie and he just made it look easy and those re- that really stuck out to me as like okay now he's kind of this is this is a new level mm-hmm. of like not only is he playing crunch time minutes we're letting him go out there and make those kind of plays in crunch time minutes so i mean he's been extraordinary he's been everything you know he still has there still is you know obviously room for development you know he's got to get bigger i think you know defense is obviously still a, a somewhat of a concern. I think it's been really good to the defense, the playmaking, but you know, he's been, I think he's blown away expectations both internally and externally. He, you know, he's high thirties on catch and shoot threes and pull up threes. 40% of his shots are at the rim. Just he's been, I, I thought you were going to bring up the give and go play he had with Monk against Phoenix, which was just like, it, yeah, this guy sees the court. You knew from the first preseason game against Toronto where the, uh, the camera crew like wasn't ready to catch up with one of Lamelo's like <laughs> hit ahead passes. It was like a made made shot. They were showing some room from Toronto jogging back on defense, and before you could see it, like they Toronto had or Charlotte had bumped up the court and got a got a layup out of it. Yeah, Just completely, completely crazy. Um, and and yeah, I mean like the. the PJ obviously stole the show in Sacramento, but like Lamelo was incredible in that game. Okay, so the quick follow up I wanted to to mention too was I, I think it was after it was during the 2019 draft lottery, and it was when the Pelicans won the lottery. And there's that there's that great video where you can see the Pelicans sales department realize like, oh man, we're about to draft <laughs> Zion Williamson. Like our lives are about to change for the better here. Um, you know, LaMelo certainly didn't have quite as much buzz as, I mean, he had plenty of buzz, but, you know, was not the sort of like the, in the eyes of many, unlike Zion was not the sort of like clear cut, um, you know, number one prospect for the draft. And, you know, Zion was just different. He's a, he and LaMelo, I guess both are sort of like social media sensations prior to them, you know, along with what they do in the basketball court where they're wonderful players too. But, you know, how much has just having like a guy like LaMelo that is, not just an amazing player, but is very popular. How much has that changed you and your colleagues, your jobs on a day-to-day basis? People that are creating content to cover this team and all of a sudden this guy lands in town. I mean, it has to have been just a complete game changer for you guys, right? Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I was, I give, I've been asked that a couple of times recently. I try to respond. Um, yeah, it was a little bit different. The lottery was obviously a big, boom just because we hadn't been invited to the Orlando bubble and we could use at that point, any good news. I think that was probably mid August. Yes. Um, we're yeah. getting ready to go to the workout bubble, but just any sort of like good news. The first time a team had moved up in 20 years and it's like, you're not even thinking about who you're going to pick. We're going to get somebody it's good luck. Like we just needed some sort of like spark people to get excited. So, um, and you kind of had a feeling it was going to be who the two, the guys were. And again, it was a weird year because you had, some of the top prospects only played a couple games. Lamel was playing in Australia and I think his last game was around Thanksgiving. And then, but I think once it kind of got to the draft um, and you kind of got go back and forth. And, and like I said, I was, you know, you're reading everything and, you know, once it, once we picked him, it was pretty clear that 
oh my God, this is going to be pretty different. This is really, really yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, it's like you said, it's like he was, I, I think in terms of like the IG basketball player, I think he was the second one. I think Zion was first. The guys that came up in this Instagram era and how they were consumed by people. So Instagram highlights, house of highlights, bitch reports, stuff like that. Like, um, and I think you see it moving forward. I think it's, it's become kind of become the way with a lot of these younger prospects, but that was a Wednesday or Thursday. And then he did the pre-draft thing on Friday or that he came and did the, the thing outside spectrum center with the other guys, Vernon and Nick and, and Grant. Um, and it was pretty clear. This was going to be really different. This was going to be really, really different. Like our follower count exploded. It just yeah. an absolutely yeah. never before seen, um, you know, growth. Um, you know, we, I think the biggest thing for us is, you know, we just want to make sure that we keep it kind of balanced. You know, we want to make sure that it's, that's kind of the biggest thing. You don't want to make the whole team about him. He's been a sensational player, sensational presence of the team. I think he's had a great impact, but I think the key for us is just making sure that, you know, it's having evenly distributed, distributed content. And I don't think there's been any lack of that this year. Cause you've had so many other guys. Terry's been great this year. Yes. Everybody yeah. seems like they've had something this year that you can make a moment or a mm. you know, Gordon's had a game winner and 44 point game. So um, that hasn't been challenging, but um, you know, we haven't had to like, only make it with mellow ball content. So yeah, it was, it's really different. It's really, really different. And I think it's, it's different in the way that we not having fans yet. You haven't really felt it like in, in real life. That makes yeah, sense. Right. Like, right, right. Yeah, no, totally. It's different you, when you're at the games, man. And people yeah. are just, it's different. It's like everything can be digital now, but at the end of the day, like, you know, having lots of people in the same space, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, Change, the environment is different when you're around people. It yeah. is. It's, it's, it's uh, continues to be the case now. I would say, yeah, the jerseys are flying off the shelves. Yeah. Like you just pot. I mean, it's, it's really cool. I love this team. I love this organization. I love the city. I grew up here. And like, yeah. I cannot think of a better thing to happen to this organization, something like this. And it's, it's yeah. not just about him. I think it's cool that this is bringing the attention to everybody. So mm-hmm. We use the term league pass darling. So you have people that yeah. aren't Hornets fans. And I, you know, I listen to podcasts now on the ringer and places like that, Kevin O'Connor and these people and say, shouldn't even watch Hornets games. That didn't happen three or four years ago. No, they we're not no. tuning in to watch it. They weren't tuning in last year. Yeah. They're spending 10 or 15 minutes talking about the Hornets right now. It's, yeah. it's so absurd to me. It yeah. just, just because we're, we weren't that kind of team. So but you tune in to watch LaMelo ball and you see Terry Rozier score 40 points and hit a game winner. Mm-hmm. And, and score 20 points in fourth quarter and hit a game winner against the Warriors. You tune in and watch the middle ball and you see PJ Washington score 42 points. And you see Malik Monk hit an and one buzzer beater basically against the Kings. Like that's the stuff that I think is so good because mm-hmm. he brings people in, but he's creating fans in other ways. You see miles bridges, all these highlights and dunks and Zach Lowe is talking about it. And so I think that's the coolest thing. Yeah. I think it's, he's kind of brought a spotlight to it, but when the eyeballs come see the, or everybody else, there's other guys, you're seeing tons of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Monte Graham, Terry Martins it feels like everybody has contributed yeah. to some capacity this year. Gordon Hayward too. I know we'll talk about him, but sort of the, I guess, resurgence that he's had this year. So mm-hmm. it's definitely different. And I think it'll get different when fans get back and we get back to a more 
uh, normal environment, mm-hmm. but it's going to be exciting for sure. I'm first glad that you brought up LaMelo's rebounding. Um, I know you mentioned that kind of at the top of your answer here, because I think a lot of people notice the obvious with the passing and the dribbling and just the vision, but I've enjoyed how fearless he's been in attacking those defensive rebounds and by grabbing them, it allows, you know, this offense to get started earlier. It allows players like miles and PJ and Gordon to fill those lanes in transition and, and get those defenders out of position and scrambling. And this is exactly what JB has been preaching this season. Um, and, and the Hornets have been really good in transition when they get the chance to do so. And, you know, back to your question about what needs to change for this Hornets team. It, it feels like anytime this team struggles, it's because either of turnovers on the offensive side or the defensive issues or the defensive rebounding issues. And I think by having guards and having wings that can rebound, it allows this team to play small. And LaMelo is just one of those players that can crash the glass and grab those those rebounds and off, obviously start that transition offense quicker player that has been linked Sam to Lamella this season has been Miles Bridges Um, after starting all but one game last season uh, he's got a new role coming off the bench as the backup for Um, I was actually surprised to see that both Lamello and Miles, when they're playing together, they actually have a a negative net rating, but uh, it was just interesting to me. I I thought for sure that would be in the positive, but regardless, he and Lamello bring this kind of energy and chemistry that's, that's been very evident. Uh, What, what strides have you seen from Miles Bridges this season, despite being moved to that bench role? Yeah, it's, and just real quick, the statement you just made, I think it's funny because I remember the point you brought up about the rebounding guards. Malik Monk, I think, had a comment last year about his improved rebounding. He said, what, what's led to the rebounding? And he said, it's kind of the assumption, if I get the rebound, I get to bring it up court. So I think that's what kind of incentivizes some of these guards. If you get the rebound, you're the one that can bring it up court and either take it to the basket or facilitate yeah. or something. So if that's what it takes them to go in there and rebound, go ahead and do it. Um, yeah, Miles has had, you know, quite a year. I think it's it's really impressive. You know, it's you know, three years started as a lottery pick, or I guess was a lottery pick. And then he came off the bench for the first half of that year and then started maybe the last like two months or so for Jeremy, they sent Jeremy Lamb back to the bench. And the last year was a full-time starter. I think the only game he didn't start last year was the game that Nick Batum started in Paris. Otherwise, you know, for the French, the French hometown thing. So, um, and then went back to the bench this year and was playing a completely different role. I think what stands out to me the most is miles acceptance to that because you go into the off season and you add someone like Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. And I think he kind of knew that, you know, I'm going back to the bench. I understand that, but finding a way to impact the game and accept the right, I, I think buying into your role and doing what you need to do and help the team win is such an undervalued and underappreciated element of player development because not all lottery picks would be comfortable that have started for a year and a half would be comfortable going back to the bench and say, Hey, we're going to actually going to teach you a completely new position at this point. You're going to be a small ball four instead of a starting three for the first two years. You could see some guys demanding a trade in a similar situation or refusing to accept it, or, Hey, I'm just going to kill time for two years and I'm going to head on out of here. And it's, but you haven't seen that he's completely bought into it. And it's been so big for that bench unit. Um, two things that really stood to me with miles this year, basketball wise, creating his own shot off the dribble has been, that's not something that like he was bad at before. It was something he just didn't do, didn't even attempt, but creating separation on three point shots, even having a, a couple attempts a game is something he would never have done before. And mm-hmm. how good he is at attacking the basket, as we know, and getting downhill, if you can 
going back to the metal thing, if you can create your own shot, I mean, it opens up everything for you. Um, and then it's facilitating. I think has been a lot better. He's a much better ball handler this year, or he is ball handling more. Um, and it's facilitating finding guys. Um, I forget what game it was. Might've been the Minnesota game, but every, every game he has one or two like really kind of nice backdoor cuts or he finds somebody on a drive or a dump off right around the basket to biz or Cody or something. That's like, that's just little stuff. It's, he's just doing a lot of four or five little stuff things a little bit better this year. Um, on top of the scoring, the rebounding, tax the basket, great. Obviously, we've seen great transition player with Lamelo and and the guards and stuff like that. So, I think he's been. I think he stepped up as a leader too. If you see a guy that say this guy started all of last year and he's taking on a new role this year, I think that reverberates through your younger guys and the rest of your roster, makes everybody else buy into what they're supposed to be doing too. And to your point, uh, it's only been 29 attempts, but uh, he has made 45% of his pull-up three-pointers this season, which is just crazy to think about. And it's almost like a prerequisite that like JB's got to have like four guys on the court that can handle the ball and pass the ball with just with, just yeah. with the offense, you know, the way that it is, Brian. I, I just think his, uh, like, especially because Cody's missed, because Zeller's missed the last couple of games. I think Miles has been huge. Obviously, Charlotte has like plenty of guards who can make plays, but for them to get some sort of like playmaking and creation out of the front court in the middle of the floor, mm-hmm. you, you've seen them run all the, these horns. I mean, they've been doing them all season, but it really feels like the last couple of games, those horns looks where they, they throw it to Miles at the elbow, he pitches it back, then he comes off a flare from either Biz or PJ, and then they go into pick and roll frequently with Miles as the guy running the pick and roll action. Like, Bridges is crazy because he can kind of just do a little bit. I mean, he really is like a jack of all trades just with yeah. otherworldly athleticism. And, um, and I, I, overall, I think, I think starting last season, but you know, really into this year too, just the strides he's made. Def- he had, he had a couple really nice places, a team to feel like a help defender against Minnesota the other night too. And like that stuff, it, yeah, obviously we all see the highlights and the lobs and that's so cool. I just, it's, it's interesting that this is a guy that you have that you can run pick and roll through. He has some, some pull-up three-point shooting, and he's also the best lob guy on the roster. And he guards one through five, you know, has at times guarded yeah. one through five this season. So just it's cliche to say someone who has a diverse skill set is, is unique, you know, whatever. But Miles kind of is a unique player uh, in, in his own right, and he really does just sort of like, when he's playing his best, he's really doing a lot of different things. He comes in and sort of like fills up the statute and has two way impact. Yeah. He's been really, like I said, I, I don't think it, it's rare. You know, you have somebody come in that was 11th, 11th overall pick and started for a long time. And then you go out and bring someone like Gordon Hayward in. It's not, you know, more often than not, I think guys would be hesitant to, you know, I don't want to do this. So, you know, this isn't, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done this, but he's been, he's bought into every single thing. And it's, yeah. it's not like he has to be, you know, a 45% three point shooter. If he's just enough to make, you know, to make him a threat out there, that's all you need. You just need a little bit here. Or if he's just a good enough threat and pick and roll, or he's just a good enough threat to do this or that, like just enough for the other team to account for it. That's all you really need. And I think that's what's helped him so much and helped the team. It's not, you know, lights out at a number of things, you know, his athleticism, I would say he's lights out, but he's found a way to kind of impact a lot of different areas. He doesn't, again, he doesn't have to be sensational, you know, corner threes too, I think is another thing that he's really kind of, um, he was good at that last year, but uh-huh. uh, I don't have it in front of me. I guess I would say his three point percentage is probably closer to 37 or 38 now. And I think last year was maybe like 32, 33. So 
that's a big jump, five percentage points for sure. Um, so yeah, he's been really, really invaluable uh, for this team this year. Last player I want to get to is Gordon Hayward. Uh, he's definitely been a steady presence for this team. He adds playoff experience that this team badly needs. I had asked him the other day about being more vocal this season, considering the role he has to play. Um, he definitely seems like a guy that probably leads more by example. But I have seen him, you know, in, in the course of a game, give someone a, you know, a little rah-rah speech at, at the free throw line, or you see him get excited after he made that game-winning shot against Orlando. So I'm sure he does get a little vocal at times. But what have you enjoyed the most about Gordon, and what do you think his biggest strength is as a player? I think what I've enjoyed the most, and as I was looking at this question you sent, and I think you asked it a couple of weeks ago, in a scrum in a zoom scrum um about how he's kind of reminds you of that guy at the ymca he's kind of got like that older older guy older yeah. like the dad moves and stuff yep, yep, yep. Uh, i think he even asked about it. he's like yeah you know i think I, I do have a little bit of that and that just i think kind of the, the overarching is he just is so good at picking his shots offensively mm-hmm. um he's, he shoots a lot of mid-range and i know last year it was kind of the hornets gravitated much towards the um, layups and three pointers and making that the primary, they were pretty high up in the NBA in terms of frequency of shots that were those two. Um, but if you've got somebody that can hit mid range, like he can and hit in the restricted area, like he can, I mean, go for it. Like he's that good at it. Um, so I think that's what stood out to me the most is offensively. He can pick his shots so well, and it just looks so smooth. I think the first basket he had when he came back in the Minnesota game was just like, I forget who was on him. It might've been, some of the big guys in Minnesota, I forget who it was, but he just kind of like spun him around. And then like, finally, when he, he did a one foot kind of turned around off his back and then perfect swish from right around inside the elbow. And it's just like, there's nothing that's not going to make highlights, but that is a beautiful looking basketball play. So I think that's been really good. And I think leadership too. I mean, you, if you bring in someone like Gordon Hayward, who's scored 10,000 points in his career, he's been an all-star. He's been in lots of playoff. He's been on two different playoff teams, that's a guy I want near me because I can learn something from him. And I don't think you can necessarily overlook everything he's gone through in Boston. I mean, obviously the situation didn't transpire the way he wanted to. He basically had to lost two years of his career. He lost one for the injury. He lost one year trying to come back from the injury. Yeah. Um, and to say everything he went through to get back to where he is, I think that's pretty remarkable in terms of leadership. And this guy clearly has something because we all kind of remember where we were when that situation happened in Cleveland, how sad it was. Um, even if you weren't a Celtics fan, you know, um, but I just think he's a number, I think you can find ways to resonate on guys, even if you're not the most vocal of leaders. Um, if Mm -hmm. your style of leadership is leading by example or, you know, this or that, you know, I think there's, I think there's ways to lead, even if it's not necessarily yelling at guys face to face. His skill set is crazy. He can basically do everything on offense. Like he really, he really can play both sides of the pick and roll pass score from every level post up like he shoots you know above average from literally every spot in the half court it's it's just crazy how how skilled um skilled he is and i i uh, i'll let richie jump in here but i but i really do think like his addition like obviously he and Lamelo fit they're very good next to one another now i think long term his development or his him getting to play with LaMelo because those guys, LaMelo's rookie contract, Hayward's deal in Charlotte, they, they mirror one another. Um, and I think long-term playing with Gordon a lot over the next couple of seasons is going to be very good long-term for LaMelo's development to play with a, a big wing like that, that can catch and finish, that can catch and dribble and finish, that can play make. Like I just, 
it, it's a good thing. And I think something that will pay off, not just in the, you know, not the, not in the next five months, but maybe in the next five years, the next 10 years, I just think it's like a, he's an, almost an ideal fit of a, of a guy you could have put around LaMelo for, for year one, just in terms of development mm-hmm. of your young point guard. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, like like Sam said, like there's there is a calming presence and, and a leadership that he brings. But the team can run offense through Gordon uh, in the half court for all the good things that this offense has done this season with the ball movement and and getting high quality shots. You still need a player that you can run offense through, especially when it starts to stall a little bit. But I, I do love his mid range game, Sam, like that like spin fadeaway shot that he has. It, it's almost he, he has it down to an art at this point. Um, it's something that you can kind of count on most nights. And to Brian's point, even though he is heavily kind of um, focused in the mid range, he can score on every level of the court. It just yeah. happens to be the fact that he does favor the middle of the court there. So Sam, you're a stat guy. You love stats. You love factoids. So Brian and I are going to put you through some Hornets trivia here. Uh, we're just going to alternate questions, and right. we will see how many you get out of six. Out of six, so we'll just do three apiece. We're going to delete it if I don't get any of them right. Or Correct. Go back and edit it again. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You will. You look. No matter what, you're going to come out of this as the trivia master. Like the people that are listening to this episode. They may have to, we may have to doctor out what I'm saying right now, <laughs> just so that we ensure that do multiple uh, takes. Let me get Google up. So yeah. 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 So I'll show my hands the whole time. Perfect. Perfect. I mean, these questions aren't too obscure. Uh, we, we put my wife through some trivia on this podcast and, and if she's listening right now, um, Hopefully she's not taking this too hard, but we kind of dumbed it down for, her, I will say. <laughs> um, I thought she did pretty well. I she thought did. she did well. She did. I, thought this, I thought some of those questions were pretty tough. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. All right. So yeah. question one, Sam, in terms of the franchise single season assist totals, Muggsy Bogues accounts for seven of the 10 in a single season. Um, he actually had the most assist in the team's second season um, in 89-90 with 867 assists in a season. So he counts for seven of the 10. Mm-hmm. There are two other point guards uh, in this top 10 that, that are on this list for single season assist totals. Just name one of them. Felton's one of them, isn't it? He is not the answer. It's Baron Davis or Brevin Knight. Brevin Knight was in our other guess. I should have said, I was thinking it was going to say one of the two. Okay, delete that. We'll start again. Delete. delete. <laughs> yeah. Felton wasn't in there, huh? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. We're moving. We're, we're, we're going to go to something, something cool. We're going to go to scoring here. We're moving from assist to points. Uh, in terms of the franchise's single season uh, high point total, Glenn Rice tops that list with uh, you know a little over 2,000 or a little over 2,100 scored in the 96-97 season. He's also fourth on, the, on that same list for his point production in 97-98. Uh, if you would please name one other player that falls within the top five for single season points scored. I feel like this is a trick question. No, 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 it's not. Is no, it Kemba one of them? Kemba yes, is one of correct. them. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. And the other one I want to say is, I know Kemba got close, but I know he wasn't going to, I when I'm going to get to Rice's, is like is it LJ one of the other one? Yep. Yeah, there you yep. go. Correct, got them both actually. Okay, that just sort of like makes up for the first bonus one. points. Yes, okay, exactly. Yeah. Well, now I'm even again. <laughs> All right, so this one actually might be one of the more obscure questions that I have on here. So, uh, third year forward Miles Bridges is from Flint, Michigan. Uh, he's actually one of three NBA players from Flint that have played for the Charlotte Hornets. 
the other two players never played on the same team, but they were they were fairly close in terms of like the era that they played with the Hornets. Uh, one of them played in the late '90s, and one of them played in the early 2000s. Name one of those players, obviously outside of Miles Bridges, that is from Flint, the- Michigan. This is a tough question, man. And look, I'm going to give uh, a hint. Neither one of these guys played at Michigan State. Is Glenn Rice one of them? Glenn there Rice is one. And the other one is, you know, it's funny because I actually, I don't know that this is not cheating, but I wrote a story about this two years ago about uh, being from Flint with Miles and his like relationship with Kyle Kuzma and Monte Morris, yeah. also both from Flint. Um, and I want to say JaVale McGee is also from yes, the area. Yes, he is. He is. I'm tr- is, is it's not Ramil Robinson, is it? Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson. That's yeah. a good guess, though. You went with another Michigan guy, right? With yeah. Ramil Robinson. I know Ramil briefly. Ramil Robinson briefly played for the team. I want to say he was like maybe in the expansion draft or something. Yeah. I don't know. Glenn Rice's teammate at the university. Yeah. They were on the '89 uh, title team together. Yeah. All right. All right. In terms of, all right, so, so good. There we go. What, two for three here, but with like a lot of bonus points along the way too. So we'll we'll find a way to, I don't know, really make the trophy shinier uh, than normal when we send it your way, Sam. But in terms of win percentage, Charlotte's second best season was in 97-98. Uh, they won 51 games, but lost two doubles in the second round of the playoffs with Michael, the eventual champions. Uh, that was the same season highlighted in the last dance. Uh, what team did the Hornets beat in the first round of those 97, 1998 playoffs. Uh, the one hint we'll give you with this, the opponent featured future Bobcat, Steve Smith, and ex-Blue Devil, Christian Leitner. The Hawks, that? right? Yep. Bing, ding, ding, ding. The Atlanta Hawks. See, I should have I should have trusted my gut and interrupted you before you gave me the hint. It looked more <laughs> impressive. No, we'll, we'll edit that part out too, all right? Yeah. And that, that way it looked like you, like, like, you Didn't were not finishing my sense. Yeah, you were finishing the. Stop, I don't need any help. Let me give exactly. you the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number five of six here. Uh, speaking of the Hawks, Lamella Ball recorded his first triple double of his career when Charlotte defeated Atlanta earlier this season. As we know, uh, he became the youngest player in the history of the NBA to record a triple double. Uh, the question is simply this, Sam Which Charlotte Hornet has had the most triple doubles in his career? Anthony Mason. There you go. go. He, he's Set a player out. that would be perfect for yes. this year yes. or this era's game. Yeah. I, I love him. Yeah. Loved him. Yeah. I think he had seven and I want to say Nick Batum had five. Right. That was the closest anyone's been in recent, recent history. Man, killing it. Uh, spot on with all of those, uh, with all of those, uh, those numbers. Yeah. Mace, Mace would be, uh, I mean, Larry Johnson would be like built for today's NBA too um, as well. But here we go. Final question. Number six. Uh, The franchise has played 63 games in the playoffs since its inception. Of those 63 games, how many has the Charlotte franchise won? And this will be multiple choice, so we'll give you a range here. A, less than 15. B, between 15 and 20. C, between 20 and 25. Or D, more than 25. So 53. 63 games. 63 games. 63. It's almost like you have to do the math because you know they're at least getting three to four losses every playoffs. Yeah. Back in the wins. 
This is more a math problem than a trivia question. <laughs> what, is what I'm saying in advance, if I don't get it right, uh, I think the C, whatever the range for C was going to be. You are correct. It is 23, 23 games. C 23 is the correct wins. answer. Yeah. Yes. 23 wins. Yep. You like the deductive reasoning I did there? I did. Was it was good. very, was you, you brought some, uh, some SAT yep. skills to the Busby. We really, we appreciate that. And uh, it's, it's no surprise that, uh, that you aced this uh, or almost aced this almost trivia aced round. It. I got a little yeah. too excited with the first question. Well, you, got, you got me second guessing about that first question because you were so confident and quick with it with uh, the rain yeah. belt. Now, I'm going to have to go look this up afterwards. Dude, I was about to pull up. I was like about to type basketballreference.com into my, my web yeah. browser here just to double check. But uh, but five out of six is uh, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Before we go, Sam, let everyone know where uh, people can find you and your work. Yeah. So, um, hornets.com, um, again, it's, I kind of do the writing there, but we've got a tremendous team, lots of content, video stuff. Um, we've got a real access series, player interviews, coaches interviews, just go there for all that stuff. Hornets.com. And then just my personal Twitter is at Sam underscore Pearly. It's mostly just stats and articles and some play by play during the games. It's, really just wanted stuff. Not I won't bore you too much in my personal life or anything on there. Occasionally there'll be a Mets tweet here or there or a swim <laughs> tweet, but only when I'm getting really, you know, into baseball season, but yeah, at, at Sam Pearlie or at Sam underscore Pearlie and then Hornets.com. Um, and then all of our social handles at Hornets, Hornets, Facebook and at Hornets and IG, we got unbelievable team, Diana Biffle, Wes Robinson, Nick Bolick, Jesse DeBull, Matt Roshinsky, Jay Starling, go on and on and on um, about the group that we have there and really, really working hard this season. It's, it's, it's been a, a challenging season. It's been a fun season. It's been a really rewarding season, but I'm just kind of one part in the big, big picture over there. Sam, I'm a little OCD. So I have a suggestion for Hornets on Twitter, on their social media. Mm-hmm. Is there any way they can capitalize the H on Twitter? For their handle. Capitalize the H. I will. You don't like the lowercase. H? I don't know. It just, it I just, like, I like the lowercase. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do. Actually. I just, I like lowercase, like as like a Twitter sort of thing, like in just in general, like people who talk in lower, ah, people who type in they, lowercase. They try too so. hard. They try too hard to me. I don't I know. know. Yeah. I've um, never actually noticed it. Um, I know if you, you will type now. It out, if you type out at Hornets and put the H uppercase, it'll, um, yeah, it'll still do the same thing. And I know other teams do the capitals. I will make a note and that'll be the first thing. Okay. When we come back from the all-star break, the first thing we're going to address is <laughs> not the second half of the season is making that lowercase h and uppercase h. Perfect. I, just thought, I, I thought because it was a proper noun, so I just didn't know. So That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Richie, it just, Richie's a teacher, so <laughs> the attention to detail is, uh, is important. Oh, your, your wife brought that up? Is that... No, no, I'm a teacher as well. I'm a teacher. Oh, you know, okay. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Both yeah. teachers. Yeah. Well, my I have lowercase s for Sam as well, so I don't know if that oh. drives you crazy at all. The, yeah. I think Brian so is lowercase lower b as well. I do. I I just like my, it, let's, I don't want to walk go down a whole other path, but it's just like, man, I invented, I made my Twitter handle when I was like in, I don't know, like in college, I just didn't know it was going to turn into a professional thing. You know, yeah, it's just yeah. like, I would have done it. I should have changed it a couple of years ago, but like now, it, I don't know. It is what it is. So we're just going to roll with it for now, at least. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. As always, we love a rating and review on Apple podcast for Sam and for Brian. I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.